Good afternoon, this is Dr. David Wright, and I want to welcome you back to the Fresh Start with Dr. David podcast, and uh, I'm glad that you're back. Um, hopefully, you've had a chance to kind of read the description. Um, one thing I will tell you, um, just about finding the podcast, depending on which version of iTunes you use or which version of the podcast app on your mobile device you use, you may or may not be able to find the Fresh Start um, with Dr. David podcast. And I'll just be honest with you, it is not easy to find. Um, I'm, I'm able to find it using my iPhone 10 using the podcast app on my iPhone. But on my desktop computer, which is a Dell, which uses a um, the Microsoft version of iTunes, it doesn't show up. And also, um, on my MacBook Pro, which is like a two, 2015 MacBook Pro, which is still on um, Mac OS Mojave, which is probably two or three operating systems ago, um, you can't find it either. It just doesn't show up as, as being a podcast in this country. So I apologize. I'm sorry that it's hard to find. Um, I've seen people try to look for it on their devices and it come up short. And I think that's an Apple issue. I wish, trust me, I wish Apple would fix that and make the podcast easier to, to locate. It shouldn't be that hard. You shouldn't have to have the latest version of Mac OS. They change the operating system every year or every other year. So it's really not a new, they call it a new operating system. They add a few improvements and change a couple things and they bring it out as a brand new operating system. And that's just Apple's marketing and advertising and that's how they work, shiny new toys that you need to get. Um, and one of the reasons, I'll just tell you, I've been a Mac user for about over 20 years now. And one thing I've discovered is if you buy, and this is just my experience, I'm not knocking Apple, but if you buy a MacBook Pro, like the 2015 one that I have, you know, it's like a, you know, it's the top of the line Mac, Mac laptop. It's 4000 to $5,000. And, you know, I want it to last, but one of the things that I've learned about Apple devices, and, and this is something that I've seen crop up since Steve Jobs has uh, died. I don't think it was like this before he died. Uh, I think he kind of kept the reins on this, but it's, it's totally the case now. If you get an Apple device, after you upgrade the operating system two or three times, it starts slowing down, the battery starts dying, it starts overheating, you start having all these issues. And so part of the reason why I don't, and every time I have a, an issue with my MacBook Pro, usually a software issue uh, related to some of the uh, applications that are built into it, like iTunes or iCalendar, those types of things, the first thing they ask me is, have you upgraded? And the, my first response back to them is, no, I haven't upgraded because you didn't make it backwards compatible with my version of Microsoft Office or my version of QuickBooks or my version of this software, which they could easily do, but they choose not to um, because their, their motive is profit. They just want you to buy a new device. And as soon as you update uh, or upgrade the operating system on an iPhone or a MacBook Pro two or three times, then it starts to overheat, have battery issues, things like that, and it's just not worth it. So. I apologize uh, about that. That's an Apple issue, and you know I would recommend that you reach out to Apple and let them know, hey, you know why is this way, uh, why is this this way, or, or why is it not that way? Um, 
having said that, I'm hopefully in the future going to have it so that my podcasts are listed on my websites too. That is not the case right now. It is expensive to make that happen. Trust me. Um, but I'm going to try to make that happen next year. So right now the podcasts are only available on Apple, um, iTunes and Apple podcasts, but I'm going to try in the future to make them available on, um, on my website and if possible on other places too. Um, but yeah, sorry. Uh, Apple doesn't make it really easy to find podcasts depending on which, what kind of device you're using, which operating system you're using, et cetera, et cetera. And it doesn't have to be that way. Um, they choose to invest in the things that they do and you know, it is what it is. Um, you know, in my case, I have to pay not a lot of money, but I actually have to pay, um, a fee, a yearly annual fee to do these podcasts. Um, so you would think that they would do that, but they don't. So it is what it is. But welcome back. I'm glad that you're back. Hopefully you had a chance to check out at least one of the previous episodes. I recorded an episode recently, yesterday, on depression and how to take a holistic approach towards depression, what to do in emergency situations. Uh, I shared some statistics. I shared some some methods um, I didn't really, I don't really necessarily go into a lot in terms of the things that I do to help my clients with depression. That's something you need to schedule an appointment for. But I do talk about some of the issues that come up in diagnosing depression, in treating depression, and some of the flaws in our current mental health system in terms of diagnosing depression. And, you know, one of the key ones that I brought up is there are several different things that look just like depression or cause depression. But if you don't get to the root cause, which is these things that I listed, if you treat the depression, it's probably not going to go away. You're going to go from drug to drug, medication to medication, and they're just going to be flabbergasted. And that's because they haven't looked at the, uh, the foundation, which is your nutrition or some other medical condition or you know your lab results from your complete blood count and these types of things that might give more information. And unfortunately, um, in our healthcare system, a lot of times providers aren't connected. You know, someone has a psychiatrist and they see this amount of information and they have a primary care physician and they see this and they have a nephrologist and they see this and they have a, you know, uh, a cardiologist and they see this and they have an intern, you know, an internist who says, sees this and nobody's on the same page and it shouldn't be that way. Uh, and, and if some of those people were on the same page, then they'd see some things that would let them know to try something different or to consider something different. But like I said, um, in the introductory podcast and some of the other podcasts, we don't really have a true healthcare system in this country. We have a bunch of interconnected parts that sometimes work cohesively, but oftentimes don't. And that goes back to the controlling interests of healthcare in this country. Insurance companies, pharmaceutical companies, and major healthcare organizations that own hospitals and things like that. And their primary motive in the things that they do, their processes, their activities, their strategies, their plans is money. And like I said, it, it goes back to greed. I mean, you start with greed, what are you going to get? And I just, you know, it goes back to the ingredients. If you're going to make a pie, it's going to taste like the ingredients and the process that went to making it. And if you start off with the wrong ingredients, you're not going to get a great pie. And that's true with healthcare too, and especially with mental health. If you start off with greed and money as your motive instead of medicine, health, and wellness, you're not going to get a good 
cohesive set of outcomes in terms of people, patients, experience of healthcare in this country. But anyway, uh, that's enough about that. Hopefully you've had a chance to at least check out one other podcast. There's an introductory podcast. There's uh, the second full or the first full podcast is on return on investment. And then the third one that I recorded yesterday is on depression. And then this one today is all about the variables involved in mental health improvement. So I'm going to go through some of those variables, and then I'm going to compare those variables in terms of different approaches, right? And, um, and I'll just kind of talk about it. And this just will give you some things to think about when you think about your own mental health condition or someone else's mental health condition and some of the variables involved. Um, and, you know, it's complicated. It's not easy. If it were easy, then more people would get help and receive help. Um, and, you know, people would be on antidepressants for a shorter period of time. People would uh, explore more holistic um, approaches like the ones that I offer. But it's not. It's complicated. It's not easy. So, um, and that's part of the reason why I am created this podcast, to make things easier, to make things clearer, and to make, uh, to help people become more informed on uh, those types of things. So uh, feel free to share your feedback. Uh, if you enjoy the podcast, please give it a, uh, a five-star rating, if that's how you feel. Hopefully you feel that way. Um, but um, and, and feel free to share it with others. Um, as you know from my previous podcast, I do have several mental health practices, MLC of Greater Atlanta, Atlanta Coaching and Hypnotherapy Associates, and then I also have Atlanta Health and Wellness Coaching, in Atlanta Small Business Incubator. And just check the other podcasts if you want the web addresses for those. Um, but the two, uh, my two major practices, or the three major practices, I'll say, I'll give you the web addresses for those. Those are www.mlcoga.com, www.atlantacoaching.com, and www.atlantahealthandwellness.com. And from each one of those websites, they will take you to all of my practice websites and tell you about me and the services that I offer, what I do, what I don't do, and all those kind of things. Okay? So, um, and you can also check out my my self-improvement books. I've got two self-improvement books, Tomato Biz for the Brain and Sweet Potato Pie for the Spirit, Soul, and Psyche, a tribute to Oprah Winfrey and Super Soul Sundays. And if I haven't said this already, I would like to say this. I'd like to give a huge shout out to Oprah Winfrey. Um, in terms of mental health, She's one of the few people who's taken it head on and brought it up and destigmatized it. She did that with weight loss and obesity and um, during the 80s when, you know, remember she had the, the famous episode where she brought all the fat that she'd lost on the show in a big bag and it was too heavy for her to lift. Um, and that was just amazing. And I think part of that started to put an end to fat shaming and things like that. I, I really do. Oprah was a true trendsetter and leader um, when she did that. And then also just kind of the way that she took her show from being one that was similar to others in terms of the content, and she took it to a self-improvement and self-empowerment level, uh, which led to things like Super Soul Sundays and her Thought for Today newsletter, which is what my, um, my, my first and second self-improvement books were kind of based off of. So huge shout out uh, to Oprah Winfrey for that, um, and um, I, I can't say how much it's energized me and my mission and my purpose and the journey that I've um, created because of that. So 
anyway, thanks. Thanks, Oprah. Um, with that, I'm going to get started today. Um, thankfully, I have a good cup of coffee again today. Mm. Um, I did an episode yesterday on depression, and I talked about a little bit. I mentioned some of my own past struggles with depression, anxiety, ADHD. I will do future episodes on uh, ADHD and anxiety. Those are my specialties. So when people ask me what my specialties are, I tell them it's uh, they're multiple. But my specialties are a holistic approach to things like major depressive disorder or depression or depressive symptoms, anxiety and panic-oriented symptoms and PTSD, and then ADHD, right, or ADD, ADHD, either one, hyperactivity component or without the hyperactivity or impulsivity components. Um, and then other things, which are more in this kind of self-improvement realm, like life direction and life purpose and procrastination and decision-making and focus and concentration and attention and uh, what else? Um, kind of priorities uh, and life stages and life changes and things like that. So those are my specialties. Uh, I, I'm really passionate about the things that I do. Um, one of the things that I love to share about my practice is every single client that I have, I don't take on a, a huge number of clients. I like a quality approach versus a quantity approach. And that's another difference between my practice and just kind of the average mental health practice. Um, you know, for a lot of practices, it's all about packing in the highest number of patients within a certain schedule, within a day period. Uh, and you know, billing insurance and all that kind of stuff. And my practice has just the opposite focus. My practice focuses on quality, not quantity, right? People aren't just a chart number when they come to my office. They're not just a medical record number. Um, it's not like that at all. And when I can, I give people extra time. I do see clients on Saturdays. Sometimes I even uh, will see clients on Sundays. So, um, and I think that's just a personalized approach. And I think you get better outcomes when you, when you have that approach. And, and I think if you look at the reviews on my website, you'll see that people, from what they share, you'll see where they have a different kind of experience in my practice, a richer, fuller, comprehensive um, care-based experience. And I think a lot of people truly experience healing and improvement in my practice, right? Or they wouldn't share it. <laughs> Trust me, they would not. People do not want to share reviews when it comes to mental health and self-improvement. It is, it is like pulling teeth to get a review. Um, and, you know, a, the 80-something to 100 reviews that I have are a small sample size uh, just because there's so much stigma that's still attached to mental health and wellness and improvement and that kind of thing. But if you go to my website, you will see those. Um, so, like I said, I, I think when you have to make a choice, always choose quality over quantity, whether you're talking about food that you eat, the friends that you keep, your own self-improvement, your health, your wellness, your calories, your time, choose quality over quantity, uh, and you will always get better results. So with that, I'm going to get started today. Um, today, I'm talking about the variables that are involved in mental health improvement, and Consequently, some of these variables are the same variables that are also involved in self-improvement. And so some of the same approaches that I use to helping clients with self-improvement, I also use with mental health improvement. Why is that? 
The reason why that is, is because they're based off of concepts, right? And they're based off of growing mental muscles. So here's the thing. Um, this is a, an analogy, and I commonly use analogies. I use whiteboards um, when I talk about things to clients from a cognitive behavioral standpoint. Um, and analogies and contrasts are a good way to sh share things with people. But, you know, just take this example here. Um, two, two people um, go to the gym and they're both entering a contest, a, a weightlifting contest. And one person, um, you know, he lifts and it's all, you know, based off what he what he, what he can actually lift. He doesn't take any performance improving products. He doesn't take steroids. He doesn't take this. He doesn't take that. It's all just him. And he builds up the mental muscles to lift a certain amount of weight. And then you take another person and they can lift, let's say the same amount of weight, maybe slightly more, but they use all these performance enhancing things. Um, steroids, it's, it, I could go on. But here's the thing. When you use something else to boost up your performance and activity, there's a price to pay for that later. So there's a liability that you're creating when you do that. You're borrowing, right? When you use steroids, you're borrowing from your heart. You're borrowing from your kidneys. You're borrowing from your brain. You're borrowing, borrowing from your metabolism, your physiology, your biochemistry. You're borrowing. And you're going to have to pay that back later on. Um, so that's the difference between approaches that build mental muscles and ones that don't. The same thing is true, and this is why I use this analogy, of medications. Now, I'm not talking about blood pressure medications or heart medications and things like that. I'm talking strictly about medications for things like depression, anxiety, um, ADHD, things like that. But if you're taking a medication, especially ones that are addictive in nature, like uh, stimulants, like Vyvanse and Adderall, um, Focalin, Silert, you know, uh, I'm sorry, not Silert, um, Concerta, things like that. Or if you're using benzodiazepines like Xanax and Librium and Ativan and Valium, etc., you're creating a liability. You may not realize it at the time, but you're creating a liability, and that liability is based upon principles of addiction. So you're borrowing from Peter to pay Paul. I promise you, you are. And so just keep that in mind. Now, if you're on antidepressants for a short amount of time, that's a different story. You're getting a temporary boost. You will have to build up those muscles when you come off the antidepressants. But sadly, a lot of people don't want to do that. And so they stay on antidepressants for a long time. Now, there are situations where people need to be on an antidepressant long term. And those are specific circumstances, and that's between someone and their psychiatrist, um, you know, to figure out. But generally speaking, when it comes to things like addressing anxiety and um, ADHD and other things, you can either build the mental muscles that are needed to, to reach your goals, ambitions, and things like that without the medication, or you can use the medication as a temporary boost but just realize you're going to have to pay for that later on. And a lot of people never want to pay that. And they just continue to use. And ultimately, they end up with an addiction, right? So that's the difference between approaches that are short-sighted, 
like just using stimulants or like using uh, benzos and things like that that create a liability. And then other approaches like the ones that I offer to help people deal with anxiety, worry, PTSD, um, ADHD, ADD, um, in a holistic way, you're actually building assets because you're building the mental muscles, the neural circuitry, the physiology to perform at a higher level. So just realize that difference. And sadly, when people present in mental health and healthcare, they're not given that information. They're not told that, hey, this is creating a liability versus trying some other route that wouldn't. And sadly, that's just the profit motive that's built into the system, sadly. Um, but yeah, it's absolutely the case that a lot of short-term solutions create liabilities. Um, it's like borrowing, you know, it's, it's like if you looked at one, uh, one company versus another company, they may look the same on the outside, but if you look at their balance sheet, you look at their accounting, one of them borrowed money to do the things they do. And the other one relied upon revenues to do what they do. It's a huge difference. So if you can build the mental and neural muscles that are needed to become successful, versus borrowing because you're eventually going to have to pay those back and it's not going to be fun. Yep. So let's get started. Um, so let's go through a list and I came up with a fairly short list, but it's, it's kind of extensive, but I'm going to go through the list of some of the variables, um, involved in mental health and self-improvement, because like I said, they both come from the same place. Um, and then also some of the approaches, and then I'm going to talk about I'm going to contrast those variables with the approaches and, and give you just kind of what I came up with. So let's talk about those variables, right? So some of the variables that are involved in mental health improvement and self-improvement, I'm just going to go down the list one by one. Uh, the first one is symptom presentation, right? Symptom presentation just means what you look like or seem like when you come into the office, right? What do your symptoms look like? Um, you, know, it, you know, do you seem disheveled when you come in? Do you see, seem depressed? Do you have a flat affect? Meaning, are you less responsive? Um, you know, what are the symptoms that you come in with, right? Are you agitated? Are you hyperactive? All those types of things, right? So the first variable to consider in mental health improvement and, and self-improvement is presentation. You know, what do you seem like? How do you act? What do you look like? That's number one. Number two is, have you tried self-help or easy fix methods, right? So if you have a problem, you know, have you tried something? So I'll give you an example. Uh, let's say you have some trouble focusing or you think you might have ADHD, but you haven't been diagnosed yet. And, you know, you go on Amazon and you see this stuff called Focus Factor. Um, and, you, and it says, oh, you know, for ADHD symptoms, focus, concentration, attention, memory, et cetera, et cetera. So have you tried that or not, right? So that's the next thing. Have you tried self-help or other easy fix methods, right? Things that are readily, easily available to you, um, you know, in a bookstore, over the counter, at Walgreens, CVS, or Rite Aid, or on Amazon, or some other place, right? Um, or a local self-help group. Uh, or lo local group. Uh, number three, um, were the self-help 
and fix methods that you use successful. So if those things were successful, then you might not have a need for anything else. And you go, you know what? Hey, I overcame that problem. Uh, didn't even, I just needed a little bit of help and direction, and I moved forward. The next one, were those self-help and, and fixed methods unsuccessful? So if they weren't successful, then you've got to move on to a different strategy, right? Or you should, or some people might just choose to just live with the situation um, or some other type of decision they may come up with like giving up, right? Um, an example of that would be, well, you know, I started college and uh, I couldn't focus, I couldn't concentrate. I, I tried some, you know, focus factor or, or, you know, this or that or whatever it was, didn't work. So, my, you know, the next semester my grades were worse too, so I drop out of school and I'll just go to work, right? That would be an example of that. Uh, the next uh, variable, number five, acceptance of bothersome symptoms. So do you choose to just deal with those symptoms? Do you accept them or do you not accept them, right? The next variable, um, have you explored or inquired about professional help? So is it something that you think that you can just fix on your own or is it something that you figure out that you may need professional help with? And I see that all the time um, with a lot of people just wanna fix things on their own. Um, and I get that experience all the time with, with my other practice, too, Atlanta Small Business Incubator. A lot of people start a small business. They don't have a business plan. They don't have a business strategy. They don't have a business concept. They don't have any of the things that you need as a foundation to start a business. And, you know, they decide to start a business or they're looking for information. And they contact me and, you know, they'll say, I'm looking for funding to start my business. Well, that's not a plan. Uh, and I try to explain the people that, hey, you know, if you come to me, I'll show you, I'll give you, we'll create a business plan for you, we'll create a foundation, uh, and then we'll go from there. And that would save them thousands of dollars and a lot of time and heartache, but people don't want to do that. They want to just start a business with no plan, no concepts, no anything, and then they just, then they want, you know, I guess they watch Shark Tank and things like that, and they just think they can come up with an idea, even though their business has never started. They, they value it at $5 million just based on an idea that 2 million other people have, and they think that people are just going to, you know, angel investors and things like that are just going to give them money, and it's just, you know, they a lot of people have illusions about that. So a lot of people don't want help. They think they can do it on their own, even though they don't have they don't have any experience in terms of doing it whether it's starting a small business or their own mental health or self-improvement. The next thing, um, once you've decided to explore, inquire about professional help, um, were you able to find it? You know, there are a lot of people providing a lot of services. It's confusing. So I get a lot of times people will shock me. It happens all the time. This used not used to not be the case, but now that there's better help and, um, you know, um, Betterhelp.com and all these online things, which I don't think are good uh, in general. Um, I don't think you're forming a true connection with someone if everything's virtual. You don't get the same sense about somebody in a virtual session that you do from them presenting in person. It's just not the same thing. It's like the it's like the difference between your a mother tucking in a kid uh, for bedtime at night and a robot. You know, most people would prefer a mother, um, not a robot. That's kind of common sense, but we have this system where we have all these cheap kind of ways and they're band-aids 
but they're not true solutions. So the next variable uh, was, you know, were you able to find help, right? After that, after you found some options, did you accept any of them? So a lot of times people will, you know, they'll fill out an appointment form at my uh, request at my practice, and they'll do that at five, six other practices. And they'll just kind of see what kind of feedback that they get, right? Which is not a, necessarily a bad approach. Um, the way that I kind of look at it is, you know, hey, uh, they're trying to find the best option. They're trying to work within their budget. I get it. Um, at the same time, if when I realize people are shopping me, I'm also going to limit the amount of time I invest too, uh, because I only have so many, t uh, you know, I only have so much time each day. I work six, seven days a week, you know, um, and I do everything for my practices virtually myself. So I only have so much time to give too. So if I, especially if I know somebody's looking at five other places, you know, I'm not upset about it. But at the same time, they're only going to get so much of my time. And I'm the same way about a, a free initial consultation. Anybody can have a free initial consultation at my office. That's over the phone or via email, but usually over the phone. And you can tell me about what's going on, and I can tell you about what I do and what I don't do and what I think. You get about 15 minutes. But some people will try to turn that into a session. And I'm like, no, we're not doing that. You know, I don't work for free. I can't afford to work for free. I have too many student loans to do that. Uh, and I've worked, you know, too hard to just give away my services. Now, maybe one day I'll be in a position where I can just give away my services. But trust me, I'm not there yet. Um, yeah, I'm middle class and struggling just like everybody else. But people will often do that. I've, and I remember the first time I had someone to do that in my office. This is when I did free initial consultations in person, which I don't do anymore. You can have a free initial consultation session for about 15, maybe 20 minutes over the phone, but not in person. But, you know, this lady literally came in and she tried to turn a free initial consultation session into a therapy session uh, with her kids there. And I'm sitting there with my mouth to the floor going, uh, what's happening here? And after that, I said, no more, no more in-person initial consultation sessions for free. Nope. Um, so after that, let's go to the next thing. So after you've decided to accept professional help, um, you know, what was it? That's the next thing. So the next variable, was it counseling and psychotherapy or a therapeutic approach, a counseling approach, right? Um, or... Next on the list, was it a medication management approach? Those are two different approaches. Uh, and a lot of times, uh, uh, you know, people want a quick fix today uh, for a number of reasons. And I totally get it. I totally get why. Um, but like I, like I said earlier, if the quick fix, unless it's a severe, urgent situation where you just absolutely have to have medications, you're going to probably, depending on what it is, pay a liability for it later on. Right. Um, the next variable, number 11, the professional help that you sought, was it effective in one or more dimensions? Right. So after you showed up and started getting sessions from a counselor, therapist or a life coach uh, or a holistic practice like mine or a psychiatrist for medication management, was it effective? Right. That's the next variable. The one the next variable after that variable number 12 is were your symptoms, the symptoms or complaints that you have, were they stabilized by that approach, right? And it may be true that they were. Maybe some of them were, some of them weren't. Um, maybe they were partially stabilized. Maybe they were stabilized initially 
after a few visits, but then they came back. So that's the next variable. Um, variable number 13, did you get mild functional improvement from that approach, right? Variable number 14, did you get major functional improvement, right? Mild versus major improvement. And everyone has a sense of that, what level of improvement you got from something. Was it a huge improvement or was it just slight, right? Number 15, did that improvement help you reach your full potential? Did it help you thrive, right? And I'm going to go into that one in greater, much greater detail later on. Um, number 16, um, after you experienced that, would you have a future need to re-seek help and assistance, right? So was that something that was done and overcome, or is it something that's likely to recur again, right? Number 17, were you able to move forward with new mental muscles? I think that's really, really important because, like I said, if you're not building mental muscles, then you're probably creating liabilities. So are you creating assets or are you creating liabilities? Big difference. Uh, number 18, uh, will you be dependent on pills or therapy going forward, right? Uh, number 19, will you be independent of pills or therapy going forward? Um, and that's, and I'll just kind of interject here. Uh, one of the missing components that people don't realize about going to, uh, doing traditional talk therapy, you know, going to uh, a social worker, a counselor, or a psychologist and doing uh, traditional talk therapy. When people do that, and they usually use their insurance to do it, so that's, you know, they're, even though they're paying for their insurance, their co-pays are probably relatively low. The thing about that is there's a huge, and I hate to say this, but it's absolutely true, there's a huge incentive not to fix your problem immediately. Because if they, if, if somebody solves your problem quickly, they're not going to make a lot of money off you. I'm just going to be real about it. If, um, if they come for six visits um, and that's it, then, you know, you multiply six visits times whatever they charge and that's what they made. And, you know, if they, if they have the ability to help you fix your problem, they may not even have that ability. But there are other circumstances, and I'll just kind of give you the most obvious one, where people go to a, 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 go to a therapist or counselor or psychologist and all they do is talk about their, their problems, don't really come up with any solutions, and they've been doing that for 8 to 10 years or even 20 years. And they look around, and they're like, you know what? And they're honest. They, they get out of a state of denial, and they go, you know what? I'm at the same point I was when I started coming here five, six, seven, eight years, 10 years ago, right? And, you know, the first thing that I tell clients who come to me like that is that there's really no incentive. People make more money if they have you coming longer and don't fix your problems. Now, that's sad that that's how our incentive system works, but it's absolutely true. Um, people who can't fix your problem actually make more money off of you as a client uh, or as a patient than people who do. And then even if they do, uh, are they doing the most? Or are you just another chart number and another, you know, just kind of, revenue producer uh, and I don't think it should be that way but it often is the case that people go to a therapist for you know two three four five six seven ten years and at the exact same point and the thing about it is a, a lot of those people use their insurance there they have a you know twenty or forty dollar sixty dollar eighty dollar copay uh, 
instead of coming to me, you know, and I'll say, okay, well, let's, let's look at this. You, you paid a, a $40, let's just take $40. You made a $40 copay. You went twice a month, right? It's $80 a month times 12 months. That's $960. And you went to that person for 10 years. That's about $10,000. And you're at about the same place that you started. So you spent $10,000 out, out of pocket expense and you're at the same exact place. All you did was temporarily feel better about your problems for about 20 or 30 minutes and then went about your life without being forced to go outside your comfort zones to build mental muscles or anything else. On top of that, the reality is you're out of a lot more money than that because in addition to the $10,000 you paid in co-pays, you also pay probably four or five hundred dollars uh, a month for insurance, probably two hundred and fifty dollars a pay period, right? So, and you know, yeah, that probably paid for other stuff too, but it probably contributed at least partially to your mental health care. So, if you take the ten thousand dollars you paid out of pocket for ten years, and then you add in another, I don't know, two hundred dollars a month. Uh, which is $2,000, about $2,500 a year times 10 years. That's another 25. So you have really paid 30, 40 grand for something that didn't help you. Sadly, that's how our system works. I hate to say it, but it's absolutely true. Yep. Um, so the thing about it is don't just go through the motions. And if somebody's not pushing you to improve, you should find somebody else. They're not pushing you, and you're just a chart number, and you're just a revenue stream. Yep. Let's go to the next item. Um, is the solution that I just alluded to it too? Um, number 20, uh, is the solution a temporary solution or a permanent solution, right? Did the therapy or the treatment work, right? Um, the next variable, number 21, um, is the therapeutic approach that you used or received, was it, is it likely to have led to higher income, right? Number 22, is it likely to have led to better job opportunities? 23, is that approach uh, or intervention likely to have led to an earlier retirement? Number 24, is that approach likely to have led to stronger uh, relationships with other people? And number 25, is that solution or approach likely to have led to abundance, wealth, and empowerment, right? So I just went down the list uh, of variables for mental health improvement. Yep, I'll go down those one more time. I know it's a long list, but I'm going to go through them. Number one, symptom presentation. Number two, trying self-help or easy fix methods. Number three, self-help and fixed methods were successful. Number four, uh, self-help and fixed methods were unsuccessful. Number five, acceptance of bothersome symptoms. Number six, exploration or inquiry about professional health. Number seven, finding professional health. Number eight, acceptance of professional health. Nine, uh, was that was that help in the form of counseling, psychotherapy, or therapy? Number 10, was that help in the form of medication management or pills? Number 11, was the professional help effective in some way? Number uh, 12, were your symptoms stabilized? 13, did you get mild functional improvement? 14, did you get major functional improvement? 15, did you get full uh, improvement and reach your full potential and thrive? 
Number 16, um, will you have a future need to re-seek help and assistance again? Number 17, were you able to move forward with new mental muscles? Number 18, are you dependent on pills or therapy going forward? Number 19, uh, are you moving forward independent of pills or therapy going forward? 20, was the solution that you were able to find temporary or permanent? 21, was the solution likely to lead to higher income? 22, was it likely to lead to better job and vocational opportunities, career opportunities? 23, was it likely to lead to an earlier retirement? 24, was it likely to lead to much stronger relationships with other people? And 25, was it likely to lead to abundance, wealth, and empowerment? So those are the variables that, that I uh, am introducing during this podcast. And then let me just tell you, and this is a matrix that I that I kind of drew, and then I'll just tell you the methods that are available and, and how I looked at each one of those variables. Um, so the, the option, these are the options, right? Number one is self-help methods. So I looked at all those 25 variables in terms of self-help, right? The next one is counseling and therapy. So all 25 of those variables from a counseling and therapy therapy approach, right? Number three, medication management. So I looked at all 25 of those variables from a medication management approach. And then number four, a holistic mindset building approach, which is the approach that I use, number four. Number five, cost-benefit ratio. In other words, how much you spent and what you got back, right? And then the last thing is the timetable, right? So, and I'm just going to go through what I found, generally speaking, right? When it comes to self-help methods, um, a lot of times, um, in terms of will there be a future need to re-seek help and assistance, there most likely will, right? So if you just use self-help methods, you're likely to need to seek help again in the future. The other thing, temporary versus permanent solution. That's variable. In terms of self-help methods, it depends on the problem that you're presenting with or the issue or the symptom, and it depends on what method you found to help, right? Um, whether it was temporary or permanent, right? Leads to uh, a higher income, uh, possibly. Leads to a better job opportunities, possibly. Likely to lead to early retirement, uh, possibly, maybe. Um, 24, likely to lead to stronger relationship, possibly. And then last one, likely to lead to abundance, wealth, and empowerment, probably not, right? Let's go to the next um, column, uh, counseling and therapy. Um, and I'm just focusing, because of time constraints, I'm just focusing on the things that are really, really the most important um, for each, each column, for each category, right? So for counseling and therapy, um, let's see. Is there a future need to reseek help and assistance? Uh, probably so, if you if you just get counseling or talk therapy, right? Uh, will you be dependent upon therapy going forward? Probably so. Will the, t will the solution be a temporary or permanent one? Um, that's variable. It's probably, it's probably going to be a temporary one. Um, it'll be, it could be permanent in the sense that you might have to go to therapy all the time, and you probably still won't get full efficacy or improvement from doing that. And then the same things are true for 
the likelihood to lead to higher income, better job opportunities, and early retirement, stronger relationships, and then abundance, wealth, and empowerment. Um, those are all the same as if you sought out self-help methods. Let's go to the next category, medication management, right? Um, so uh, some of the things where that stands out is will you also need um, will you also need counseling and psychotherapy or therapy? Um, it's probably it, it probably is the case um, because medications have side effects. Medications don't fully fix things. Medications in most instances are fairly blunt tools, uh, and so it, it's it's likely that you'll also need therapy too. Uh, let's see. Will you be able to reach your uh, full potential? Uh, that's variable. You don't know. Um, will you have a future need uh, for help and assistance or different medications in the future? Absolutely. Uh, and then the next thing. Uh, will you be dependent on pills or therapy going forward? Probably so. Probably so. It depends, but probably so. Uh is the solution temporary or permanent? It's usually temporary. It depends on what it is, but it's probably temporary, at least with that one drug that they tried. Uh, and that might change with each new drug that you, you get put on. And then the, less, the rest of those variables, higher income, better opportunities, uh, vocationally, early retirement, stronger relationships, abundance, wealth, and empowerment are all the same. Um, and then I'm going to get to the last one, which is the basis of the practices that I have taking a holistic, naturopathic, functional, integrative, psychoanalytic, psychodynamic approach that is based on building mental muscles and assets, right? And I'll look at that. Uh, in terms of symptom stabilization, will your symptoms likely be stabilized? Absolutely. Um, will you have mild functional improvement? Absolutely. Will you have major functional improvement? Absolutely. Will you be able to reach your full potential and thrive? Absolutely. Uh, will you be able to move forward with new mental muscles? Absolutely. Will you be independent or most likely independent of pills or therapy going forward? Absolutely. Uh, because you've built the mental muscles. you built those assets that you can draw upon in the future. Um, some people call them character. You could call it character. You could call it mental muscles. But it's all the same thing. Uh, your ability to be resilient in adverse circumstances, basically, uh, will be a temporary or permanent solution. It will be a permanent solution. And then the next variables are all the same. Higher income, better oppor uh, job opportunities and vocational opportunities, early retirement, much stronger relationships, abundance, wealth, and empowerment are all extremely high. So that's one of the reasons why I have the kind of practices that I have because the difference is you're doing the work, you're putting in the time, the energy to build the mental muscles, which becomes assets that you can draw upon. And I'll just, I'll use this example, right? Um, which should make it clear. Um, and I kind of use the strategy in terms of, you know, investing and things like that. If you, if you made a choice or if you make a choice to invest in mutual funds, ETFs, things like that, and I'm not talking about the ones that are very uh, risky. I'm talking about less risky ones. Once you make that investment, if you need money later, so let's say you make a $50,000 investment in ETFs and mutual funds. 
not only do you have the original asset, but you can borrow off those assets in the future without dipping into the assets themselves. So you can borrow money from those assets. In addition, those assets are probably growing. So that same asset, so it's like, you know, the classic example, if you had invested in Walmart in the 1980s, or if you had invested in Amazon in the 1990s, or if you had invested in Uber in, you know, whatever year. But that's the key, is the investment. By building the mental muscles that you build by taking a holistic uh, cognitive behavioral approach to things that forces you to grow and go beyond your comfort zones and actually put in the work, then those are assets. Assets that you have that keep growing, mind you, and you can borrow off them in the future. And that leads to resilience. So that's that's the key to this approach is, is what you're doing leading to liabilities, which you're going to have to pay back, or assets that continue to grow that you can borrow off of in the future. And I say that even though you might have to do a little bit more work, it's worth it. Yep, absolutely think it's worth it. And I think you're worth it too. Um, the other two variables that I looked at, the other two columns, is cost-benefit ratio. And I just kind of gave you that example. Somebody could sit in therapy not being forced to go outside their comfort zones, just talking like their pals with their therapists or their psychologist for 10 years, and they've not really noticed it, but they probably paid in about $35,000. And what have they gotten back? Nothing. They're at the same place a lot of times. Now, that's not always the case. That's a, a generalization. But I've met tons of people who, who actually have said that. You know, I spent, and they're soured on therapy because of that, because they just sat there chit-chatting, um, kicking with their therapist or their psychologist, for the last five years or 10 years, and they haven't noticed that they spent, you know, 10, 15, 20, $30,000 and haven't gotten anything back. They're at the exact same point. Their anxiety is the same. Their depression is the same. Um, they felt better, but, you know, they didn't get anything in return, right? And then the last thing is timetable, right? What are you getting in terms of the time and how long does it take to fix things? Um, most clients that come to my office, they're growing, they're making more money, they're more resilient, they know how to deal with situations within 24 months. You know, I do have some people who come to see me occasionally who, who've been longer than that. But, you know, most people who come to me, as they've uh, grown, their visits become less often, uh, they need less help, they're stronger. They're more um, self-confident about their abilities. They have higher self-esteem. They're more resilient. They're more abundant. They're more empowered. They're more improved. They have a higher level of self-efficacy and self-advocacy. And they're just stronger, braver, more courageous people, right, in a short amount of time. And so I always say it's, you know, it's what you put in. It's what you put in. You could stretch anything out over a long period of time, but... Here's the thing, we don't live forever. So you want to try to accomplish as much in a short amount of time. Um, so that's kind of what I wanted to talk about today, all the variables that are associated with mental health improvement. And just think about some of those things and think about the strategy that you're, you're trying, you're considering uh, using or exploring, whether it's a long-term solution or a short-term solution. 
if you're going to get what you're paying for, what's the cost-benefit ratio? Is it likely to lead to a permanent solution? Um, is it going to allow you to thrive and grow and reach your full potential? And is, is that going to translate into the rest of your life, your higher your income, your job opportunities in your career, your retirement, your relationships, uh, the amount of abundance, wealth, and empowerment that you have? So think about those things. It, it's you know it's not always easy, and in some ways it's easy to take a short-sighted approach. It really is financially and otherwise. But I always I always tell my clients whatever you put in is what you're going to get back. So. You know, if you talk about your, your paycheck and how much money you put in you know, an investment account every month versus going out and eating and dining and things like that, I mean, you could choose. You know, you could put $100 a month into your uh, mutual fund and then spend $900 on entertainment every month. Or you could do it a different way and put in $600 a month into mutual funds and spend $400 on entertainment. It's totally up to you. But at the end of the day, if you do that for two or three years... The thing that you're going to look at is, you know, person A, person A who put in $100 a month and spent $900 a month, you know, on other stuff. In three years, they're going to have, what, $3,600, you know, $1,200 a year times three. They're going to have $3,600 versus the other person who put $600 a month and times 12, that's about $7,200 uh, a year times three. That's what twenty one twenty two thousand. So you've got one person who's got three, and the other one's got twenty two. The other one's got seven times as much. It's up to you. How you invest is up to you. And if you want to explore more about this approach, then check out episode two, which was all about return on investment. And that episode is all about looking at what you're putting in versus what you're getting out, and making better, more informed, smarter, more strategic decisions based on the amount of return that you're going to get in the long term. And with that, I'm going to wrap things up. Uh, thanks so much for spending 55 minutes with me, and I will see you on the next episode. Take care. Bye-bye.